Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter number 2. We took a brief pause in our study of the book of 1 John as we uh, went through Christmas and New Year's, and now we're going to pick this back up, 1 John chapter number 2, <clears throat> and uh, I'd like to kind of start this off thinking along these lines. Um, I think we all know someone or have known someone possibly um, who at one time perhaps was a strong Christian and they were moving in the right direction. Everything seemed on the up and up. Everything seemed as though they were, um, they had a, a very close relationship with the Lord. Um, only to one day find out that they have left the faith. And they've turned their back on the things of God. I think we all know someone who has been there, and if you if you don't know anybody like that, praise the Lord. Um, you know, I'm sure some of you might even be be able to think of a Christian leader who has done this. I know that there have been several over the past uh, few years now. Um, the Bi uh, the uh, the Bible, not the Bible, but the um, uh, the statistics say that people are exiting the ministry faster than they're coming in. This is a sad truth. It's a sad reality. There are people who have become prominent figures in Christendom uh, who have renounced their faith. Joshua Harris, the writer of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, left the faith. No longer refers to himself as a Christian. And we wonder to ourselves, how in the world can these things happen? How can this be? And, and the, the question just comes to mind, how can someone give up on God or, or turn their back on their faith? How can someone do that? And we wonder to ourselves uh, about these different individuals. Now, I, I personally know people who have left, uh, and they have left, they have left proper doctrine and chased after fables. But here's the interesting thing. And that now, beloved, understand something. It, and I, I made this comment in our uh, Sunday school class next door this morning, and I'm going to make it again. You'll probably hear me make it many times. But I tell people often, whenever they visit, if God wants you here, praise the Lord, so do I. But if God has somewhere better for you to serve, where you're going to grow, you're going to get to know Christ better, you're going to be used and serve the Lord better, then that's where I want you, and I will help you find that place. And so don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not going to get into a denominational battle here, but I'm talking about people who have left proper doctrine to run after false teaching. And the statement is something to the effect of this. Well, I felt that way like you do until I grew out of it. And people try to challenge you as if you're still stuck in, in, in immaturity and they have come, they have arrived to a certain place that you have not arrived. And when you finally get there too, you'll understand that, that I'm not wrong. And so what do you do with that? How, how do you address this? How, how, how can we reconcile these things where someone would give up on God. Well, we find an introduction to this here in chapter 2. And if you would stand with me for the reading of the Word of God, we'll pick up in verse 18. And we're going to read for context's sake. We're going to read um, through verse 23. The Bible says, Little children, it is the last time. 
And as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Paul's for station identification. If you underline or highlight in your Bible, that's a verse to do so. We'll come back to that in subsequent messages. But we have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Father, we ask your blessings now in the reading of your word and and Father, we commend uh, to You our hearts in its application. And so, Father, would You teach us what we know not, give us what we have not, and make us what we are not. In Your Son's name we pray, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So John puts before us here a warning, and as we've uh, made our way through uh, the study in First John, we... we have looked at many different things. He's laid out several tests leading up to this point, laid out several tests for a person on how they can examine themselves uh, to determine whether or not they are truly in the faith. Now, if you remember, as we've been going through 1 John, uh, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons we find on John writing this epistle is, is spelled out in 1 John 5.13, where he says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. In other words, those of you who have trusted Christ as Savior, those of you who have placed your trust in Him, those of you who have accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. And he says, I'm writing these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, we don't have a hope-so salvation. We don't have a hope-so type of belief. We have a no-so, and here's how you can know. I've had people through the years, you know, when we're talking and, and, and sharing the gospel, uh, they'll, they'll say things like, well, how can anyone really know? I'm so glad you asked. Because the Bible tells us. The Bible lays it out plain and clear. But John said, here's the problem. How do you know if you're really following what the Word of God tells us? Well, he lays it out and he, he shows us several different ways that we can kind of examine ourselves and to see if we are truly walking in this, uh, this uh, relationship with Him. But apparently there, were, there was an, uh, an exodus of the church there in Ephesus um, that uh, uh, John is writing to, and apparently there were some people that had started to buy into these Gnostic Gospels and these false teachings, and he wants them to, uh, to wake up to a reality. Now, now put yourself in their sandals for just a moment, all right? You're going to church, and then you start hearing this false teaching creeping in. And then you start to wonder to yourself, 
that, that doesn't really match up with everything that Paul and John and Peter, it, it's not matching up with what these guys are saying. Did I miss something? And this is what the Gnostics were doing. They were trying to put it out, well, you didn't read this part yet. You didn't get this part. People do it today. You know, we have the 66 books of the Bible, and that is all that we need. This is what is Scripture. It wasn't determined by some council. It was, it was affirmed. And he said, yeah, this is why we're going to hold on to this. Uh, even when, uh, when Jerome was bringing out the Vulgate and he was translating the Vulgate, you know, he didn't want the Apocrypha in there. But the Catholic Church told him, you're going to put it in there. And, and when we read through uh, our, our beloved King James Bible, do you know that the original 1611 had the Apocrypha in it? But we, we are challenged oftentimes where you're only reading part of Scripture. You're only reading part of the Word of God. You're not reading the whole thing. What about the, what about the Gospel of Thomas? What about the infancy Gospels? What about the Gospel of Philip? What about the Gospel of Judas? What about the Gospel of Mary? You're not reading these. Beloved, here's what we need to understand. We have the completed Word of God. And if you read one of those false Gospels for any amount of time, you're going to find something out. This doesn't belong with the rest of them. Kind of like the old game. You remember the game? that we? Uh, I think it was a Sesame Street thing. These, uh, these uh, two of these things belong together, yet one of them's not the same. <laughs> these 66 belong together. The other ones are not the same. And we have the Word of God for us. We have it given to us. We have it in our hands, and we can look and we can examine these things. But put yourself where that church was, that early church, and you start to hear these things creeping in, and then some of the people that you have watched, some of the people you have stood by as you've worshipped, some of the people you have gone to Bible study with, maybe even some of the teachers are starting to leave to follow this false doctrine. And you start to question yourself, and you start to wonder, did I miss something? Well, maybe they're right. Well, how, how can I really know? And so this is what the apostle sets out to do. We do things like this often because it's easy for us to get ourselves uh, trapped. But John brings out to us now, after he's given us several of these different ways uh, that we can test, you know, loving the world, loving one another, or hating one another. Uh, you know, as we go through all of this that we have seen thus far, we come here to verse 18, and there's almost like a shift that takes place. He says in verse 18, little children, it is the last time. Now, I love the way John uses this little children over and over. This is his way of saying, my dear ones. You can read the love in the pages of 1 John here. You can read his heart's desire. I just want to help you know something. I want, you to, I want to help you see the truth. So little children, it is the last time. You know, last hour, the New Testament writers here kind of thought of this, uh, the idea of last days in two ways. First, theologically, they viewed it as the last days in which Jesus' gospel was working in the world. And so this new age was present in uh, uh, the statement found in John 14 or 4.21 when Jesus told the woman at the well, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming and, and, and now is the time uh, when worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He says it's now here. This is Jesus' words. In 4.23, he says the time's coming and it's here, now. And so this idea of the latter days, later on in John 12.23, Jesus makes this statement. He says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then as we continue to move through in John 16.32, he says 
the time, the hour has now come. Mark 14, 41, he says this, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. He is referring to the time. The word here for hour is basically the period of time. The time is now, he says. Now. But they also viewed it in an eschatological form. They viewed the term last days as the days that led up to the return of Christ. Take a moment, if you would, here in 1 John, keep your hands, take a, grab an offering envelope out of the back of one of the seats, put it, uh, put it in 1 John, and let's go over to uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And then when we get back to 1 John, you can take that offering envelope out, put your name on it, put something in it, and put it in the offering. Just having fun. Some of the people are looking, oh great, here we go. But look at 2 Timothy chapter number 3 with me here. Uh, starting in verse number one, he says this, this know, oh, yep, there we go. This know also in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Kids, put you right in the camp of blasphemy, disobedience to parents. Oh, great. Now the pastor's going to beat up on us. No, that's okay. I just wanted to, that one's free. You can, you can kind of put that one off to the side. Well, a lot of parents missed an opportunity. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, uh, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Here's what's amazing about this. Here in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he lets them know that the, the perilous times shall come. And what we typically do, sadly, what we typically do is we look at these perilous times as future tense. Shall come. But I want us to keep this mentality for just a moment. Drop down to uh, uh, verse 10. It says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me in Antioch and Iconium, Lystra, and the persecutions I endured, but out of them the Lord delivered me. Look at the verse 12 with me here. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul's preparing Timothy for something. He's saying it's time to wake up because there's coming a day that is worse than this day. That's what he's talking about. But I want us to go into this with eyes wide open because I'm afraid that, that too often people look at the last days, the perilous times, as something yet to happen. We're entering the last days. No, 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 no. Hold the phone. Keep reading here with, with me in chapter number 4 now. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from truth and shall be turned unto fables. Beloved, Paul is charging Timothy to do this because he he saw it as something going to happen in Timothy's day. This is the, uh, the last days are not yet to come. We are in it currently. Right now. 
Just as much as Timothy was in the last days, you and I are in the last days. It's not a matter of his period of time. It's a matter of the, the, the opportunity that people have. Now is the time when Jesus, His Gospel, His beloved, uh, beloved Word is, is out there and it's able. people are able to come to know Him as personal Savior, as Lord. They're able to place Him in that position. But so often people are so worried about what's going to happen down the road that they quit focusing on the fact that it's here now now you know the sad thing is that so many people have yet to learn to live with their eye on the Lord's return and I'm not talking about the people outside the four walls of a local New Testament church I'm talking about the local New Testament church we have stopped living as though today could be the very last moment. Think about this for just a minute. If you knew that today was the day that the Lord was going to return, would you have watched the same television show you watched last night? Would you have used your time last week the way you used your time this past week? You had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Do you have anybody that you want to make sure that they know about Jesus Christ before His return? If there are people that we are turning a blind eye to, we are not living in the knowledge and in the reality of the return of Christ. You see, the last days was the time from... From the, uh, uh, from the death of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, when the gospel first uh, finally was presented and Jesus rose from the dead, providing that way for us to be able to be with God for eternity with the last opportunity. This is it. We've been at this for some 2,000 years. Do you think the sand is running out? I remember growing up as a kid, and I would hear people say, Oh, we're living in the last days. We're living in the last days. Oh, we're living in the... And I'd be sitting there going, You've been saying that for a long time, preacher. I'm still here. That's because we're looking at it with the wrong idea. Are you living in reality the reality of this being the last hours? Or ask yourself, are you living... Like you have all the time in the world. Take this for example. Let's just, let's just take this book for a moment. Do you want the Lord to come back? Now I understand people come to know Christ late in life. I get that. But you know that this is a love letter? Do you know that? I mean, everything that God wants you to know about Him, you can find between these covers. Everything. He wants you to know how much you have messed up and how perfect He is. He wants you to know that even though you were a sinner, even though you were His enemy, He died for you. He wants you to know that. And He puts it out for you there in black and white, sometimes red or blue. Depends on what kind of Bible you have. Would you like for him to return and you have yet to pick it up? Now let's just think about that for a minute. If 
if a man goes to war and he's in the battlefield and he's 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 in the heat of it and his commanding officer says guys write your letters and they sit down with pen and paper and they pour out their heart on that paper and they want to tell their their loved one their wife their their children everything that was on their heart and they poured it out word by word paragraph by paragraph page by page they kissed it folded it put it in the envelope and sent it home and they get home you come in he sees that letter sitting on the coffee table the envelope has yet to be opened he looks to his wife he said oh you got my letter um did you read it? Well, I, I wanted to, but you know I don't read well. I wrote this before I went into battle. I poured my heart out in it. You didn't read it? I wanted to, but I had a lot going on, honey. You don't know how busy it is to try to mother these children when you're away. And, and I got work, you know, and and, uh, and the boss, you know, he's so demanding on my time. And the kids, and I had to make dinner. I had to make dinner. You didn't read my letter. You didn't read my letter. I wrote it for you. For you. And you won't read it? I love you. How could she respond? You know, there are many people. One day, Gabriel's going to blow his horn. And the dead in Christ will rise. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet Him in the air. And I pray, I pray that when He does so, I will be found faithful and serving. We are living in the last times. But I want us to notice something here. And I'm going to try to speed this up for you because I know some of you, your stomachs are growling and you're wanting to meet, beat the Nazarenes to the Cracker Barrel or somewhere. I can always count on Greg for an amen. We will look at this in more subsequent passages, but notice what he says going back to your, uh, your tithing envelope there at 1 John. First John chapter 2, he says, Little children, this is the last time you've heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now, there are many Antichrists. You know, this, uh, this term Antichrist is, uh, uh, is the Greek antichristos, which is a compound word. Anti meaning against or in opposition to Christos meaning Christ. And so this idea is, while, while I realize that he says that there is an Antichrist coming, he also reminds us that there are many Antichrists now. Don't be so caught up with studying your book of Revelation and you're focused on the Antichrist that's going to come and you're, you're trying to figure out, well, who could be the next Antichrist? What's he going to look like? Where's he going to come from? And you get so wrapped up in that that you forget the fact that John says, hey, wake up, there are many Antichrists right now. Many the sad thing is, is many times we welcome them right into our home. 
I love the way John clarifies himself in this. If you look at the, with understanding what this Antichrist is, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist. So in other words, anybody who denies that Jesus is the second person of the triune God is Antichrist. If you drop down to chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, he says it this way. And every, uh, every spirit that confesseth not Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. So whoever doesn't confess that Jesus has come in the flesh. You know, there was a great teaching that Jesus, you know, Jesus wasn't really man. Oh, uh, yeah, he was. 100% man and 100% God. How you can get 200%, I haven't figured it out yet. When you learn it, come talk to me about it. But all I know is I believe it because the Word of God teaches it. And I had somebody ask me, well, how can you believe something you don't fully understand? Because He's God. And the moment I fully understand, He ceases to be God. You can't fully understand something that is beyond you. Dear ones, this is quite uh, often such an emphasis for people on the Antichrist that they miss the ones that are in their life. Understand it this way. Anything that stands contrary to Christ is not for Christ. It is against Him. And so think about, think about it like this. <clears throat> anything that would prevent my forward motion, anything that would prevent my becoming more like Christ, anything that would prevent my time with Him is not for Him, it is against Him. That friend that encourages you to go golfing instead of church, that's anti-Christ. No one would... Man, there's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Some churches don't have Wednesday night services. Go Wednesday. You got all day Saturday. Guess what? Sunday afternoon's pretty good. Down here, you can golf all year long. Well, I got to get it in before snow comes. It ain't coming. <laughs> Up in Ohio, you know, it's snowing and people are still looking for their golf ball. It's crazy. They have the orange ones so that they can find them easier. That person who belittles your commitment to abstinence, kids. That person that belittles you for trying to maintain your integrity. That family member who tries to talk you out of following God's call in your life. That church member who would tell you not to raise your hand or say amen. That coach who purposefully schedules those practices during church time. They are not for him, they are against him. So, what in your life is in opposition to your walk with Christ? Maybe your friends. Maybe your TV. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your cell phone that you're carrying around. I don't know. Something's in opposition to Christ. you got to iron that out. Look at Jude with me if you would. I'm going to tell you about a man called Jude. You got 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude. And they don't happen for you know, very many pages. The question may be okay, well, you know, I don't want these antichrists in my life. How do I prevent this in my life? And even going back to the original question, how can someone turn their back on God? How, how do I prevent that in my life? I, I, I want to, to endure. This whole thing is about preparing yourself for endurance. That's what John's trying to help us with here. 
How can you make sure to maintain that you're not one of the ones that went out from us proving that you are not of us? Now, he's not talking about people who move away and things like that. That's not what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about people who leave the faith and leave proper doctrine. That's what he's talking about. So how do we combat this? Remember Paul told the Corinthians, let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. So if you're sitting here going, well, I don't really have that problem. Take heed. I don't really have that issue. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about me. Let him that thinks he stand take heed. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm good, I'm all right. You're the one that needs this more than anybody else in this room. Jude was a very godly man. And he says in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the, uh, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jude was aware. He was wanting to write a beautiful and encouraging uh, letter about, about the, uh, the, the truth of salvation and the way people can come to know Christ. And then he says, I found out that there's people that are perverting the gospel in your midst. And so it's time, it's time to address it. So these teachers were twisting the doctrines of grace and making it as an excuse for people to live however they wanted to. But Jude stood for what was right and contended for the faith and strove for the truth. Now understand, Jude was not a religious fanatic. He was a man of God who was balanced and understood something that you and I miss quite often. Look at verse 17 of Jude chapter 1, in case you're curious. Verse 17 says, But beloved, Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. I want us to kind of zero in on this for just a minute, and we're going to see how we combat falling away. First, he encourages us in, in, in a, a couple different ways here. Number one, he tells us to remember Jesus predicted and his apostles predicted this falling away. Notice what he says there in verse 17. Remember ye the words which are spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that, how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time. Remember this. Jesus predicted it. His, his uh, apostles reminded us of it. Scoffers doing their own thing. Don't be shocked. That's what he says. And so often we hear of people who have left the faith. And it's like, wait a second. How in the world can that happen? And we're blown away. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Jesus told us. Next, he says to recognize that those who cause division are ungodly 
and without the Spirit. Note it. He says to build yourself up in the faith. Build up your faith. Notice what he says there in verse 20. But ye, you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. You must trust more. And in order to trust Him more, you have to know more about Him. I don't trust what I don't know. Sometimes we get, it, get ourselves involved with certain people. And <laughs> I had, a, had a, a guy, one of my co-workers one time, wanted me to co-sign on a loan. No. And if you're ever curious, should I ever co-sign on a loan? No. My dad told me when I was young, he says, I won't even co-sign for you, son. He's not going to ruin his credit for somebody else. Don't do that. And he says, but you know me. I'm like, not that well. He says, build yourself up. You see, the more we know about Him, the more we study Him, the more we trust Him. We build ourselves up. Well, how do I get to know Him? How do I experience Him more and more? This book right here. That's it. If you're waiting for something to hit your brain, just magically have, ah, oh, you know, lights from heaven and angels in the background singing, it's not going to happen. But you'll get connected to Him with this book. This book. Pray in the Spirit. He says, he says in verse 20, Beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. In other words, you quit trying to live in your own power. You know, the very first thing that we need to do in prayer is admit we need to pray. That's it. That's a beautiful thing if you really think about it. I wake up in the morning and I go into my prayer time. One of the first things I say is because I'm still rubbing the sleep, I'm still fighting it, I'm having to walk, you know, I'm having to pace in my prayer closet and there, and, and, and I'm just trying to keep myself up. And I say, Lord, I am tired, I'm sleepy, I'm fighting exhaustion, and you don't. I'm turning to someone who doesn't need to sleep. Think about that. No matter what time of the day it is, somebody can be talking to him, and he's like, yep, full attention. Not me. We need to pray in the Spirit. And you know the two go together. When someone knows the Bible well but has a limited prayer life, you know what you end up with? A lot of light with no power. No power. But then you have people who they're all about the strong prayer life and they sit around all day and they're, they're chanting and reading and everything, but they never pick up the Word of God. You know what you have then? A lot of zeal with no direction. Your goal in the spiritual life should be to be acquiring, uh, uh, not to be acquiring information or some grand emotional experience. Your goal should be to be spiritually transformed by the Holy Spirit. That happens in His Word and on your knees. If you're not on your knees and in His Word, it ain't going to happen. I promise you. I promise you it won't happen. Spiritual wholeness only comes through the balance of submission to the Word of God and the ministry of prayer. That's where it comes. Keep yourselves in His love. 
How do we do that? By surrounding yourself in His presence. Surround yourself in that. And then be merciful. You know that, that, that part in Revelation, he says, of some have compassion making a difference and others save with fear pulling them out of the fire. You know he's not talking about unsaved individuals there. He's talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to have compassion. There are some people that are going to doubt. There are some people who are going to struggle with their, with their beliefs. You need to have compassion on them. And then there are some that are weak and getting pulled astray. You need to pull them out. Help them. So, let's apply this personally. In the preventing of the falling away here, how do we, how do we apply this to our lives? You know, those individuals that you see starting off strong and then abandoning the faith. You know, prepara- preparation for this is not a one and done. It is a lifelong practice. Lifelong practice. You see, those individuals that you see when they start off but then they fall away, they were they all have something in common. They were not all in. They weren't. You hear them talk about when they left, what, they, what they, they'll tell you is, I was left wanting. I never got this answer to my prayer. I was waiting for Jesus to fix my marriage, and He never did. I was waiting for God to fix this issue in my life, and He never did. Come to Christ for Christ, not for what He's going to do. That's the problem that we run into. And there's so many people today who are trying to, uh, to come to Him so that they can gain popularity or come to Christ so that He can fix their problems or come to Christ so that they can have a house, a big mansion in heaven. This is not why we come to Christ. We come to Him because of Him. Because we believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Second, understand that the call of Jesus was never to follow a list of rules. It was never to lead the business of the church or things of that nature. The call of Jesus is the call to simply follow Him. And this requires dying to yourself. Well, can I follow Jesus effectively if I'm not a pastor or if I'm not a, uh, an evangelist or if I'm not a missionary? Absolutely. Some of the closest people that I have ever known to the Lord Jesus Christ have been people who were not in vocational ministry. They were ditch diggers, building building builders, school teachers. They were not in ministry, but they had a close walk with the Lord because they gave Him themselves. That can be you. And then last, remind yourself daily of this decision to die to self and follow Him. I'm closing my Bible so that you know I'm done. You can put your shoes on and wake up your neighbor. Have you made this decision to follow Him? Is there anything keeping you from following Him? If there's something preventing you, it's time to identify that Antichrist and get it out. What's holding you back from following Him? What's holding you back from trusting Him as Savior? What is the one thing that you're unwilling to do is it the prayer time? I, I just, I'm not good at praying. No one is. Because we're not perfect. But do you do it? Is it the study time? Well, I just, I don't read well. Okay. Read. Get in it. If you have a hard time with the reading part, listen. We live in a golden age. You can find the Bible in an audio format anywhere. 
The Gideons have an app. You can find it in Gypsy if you want to listen to it in Romanes. We have no excuse. A good commitment to a ministry, telling somebody about Christ. Listen. What have you yet to abandon for Him? If you have yet to abandon something for Him, you are in danger of not enduring. That's the truth. This is not about holding on to your salvation. It's about ensuring that you truly have decided to follow Jesus and that you will never, never turn back. Luke 9.23 says it this way. <laughs> I'm bringing that up. Talking about Jesus here. And He said unto them all, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow Me. Daily. Is this your practice? Follow Him. Give everything to Him. I promise you, you'll never find Him lacking. Gracious Father, we present ourselves to You once more. Father, we've, we've sung songs to You and about You. We've read Your Word, studied it. And so, Father, now is the time where we choose exactly how we're going to apply it to our life. And so, Father, I'm asking that You would speak to each individual heart today. Father, that we would not be guilty of trying to figure out what's going to happen next, but we would be arrested in this moment focusing on how we're going to apply Your truth to our lives. Father, identify those antichrists in our hearts. Identify them. Help us to see them clearly. Help us to turn from them. Father, we promise, we commit ourselves now to building up our faith, to spending time in prayer to the Holy Spirit. So, as long as we're committing to do that, we ask this, as Jude also said, Now to Him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the throne of His glory with great joy to the only wise God, our Savior and our Lord, through Jesus Christ, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.